Have you ever wanted to step out with faith and courage, but fear was paralyzing you? I mean, I've been there again and again. In Matthew 14, verses 22 through 33, is a story of faith when afraid, of trust in the face of terror. And it invites us, in the midst of fear and doubt, to rest in Jesus' presence and power. And in many ways, this story has become a picture of the Christian life. So let's explore it together, beginning in verse 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased and those in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Let's pray. Father, we ask that by your spirit, you would put your finger on areas of our lives that need to be challenged. Lord, that you would also bring, as you know has been my prayer, great encouragement today. That you would impart faith. That in the midst of our fears and doubts, you would teach us what to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Four points will help us walk through um, this text. Number one, Jesus stays behind to pray. Number two, the disciples in a storm afraid. Number three, Peter cries out to be saved. And number four, the disciples worship Jesus by faith. First, Jesus stays behind to pray. You know, before we get into this text, you know, I can remember uh, a particular time in my life when I knew that Jesus was calling me to trust him and to step out in faith. But the truth is, I, at that time in my life, I just, I just wanted to play it safe. I just wanted at least the illusion of control. I had enough drama I was dealing with, and, and I was content with really just, just that, the illusion of control. Have you ever been there? Where you really believe God is calling you to step out in an area of faith, but, but you're afraid. And that fear has a, a, a paralyzing effect on you. It keeps you from doing what you, you know the Lord wants you to do, but you don't want to walk in it. Well, he was confronting my fears. Some of them were rational. Most of them were irrational. And so during that time, I read this story in my own devotions, and, and I just carried this story with me during that time. It was a season where I, I was gripped with fear, It almost paralyzed me. It almost kept me from moving forward in what Christ was calling me to do. 
And so my prayer is that we would carry this story with us, that it would comfort us, that it would teach us, that it would also deliver us, that it would push against our fear and doubt. So the day actually in chapter 14 began in in verse 13 after Jesus heard that John the Baptist, his friend and relative, had been killed. And Jesus attempts to find a place of solitude to process his death, a place to grieve and mourn. Now the crowds had, had heard of Jesus retreating and they followed him on foot. And so when Jesus arrived at his destination, he just saw a ton of people gathered. And so he took time. He had compassion on them. He healed the sick. Later that same day, there's a crowd of 5,000 men add to that women and children, and they were hungry. And he feeds them. This is where Jesus multiplies loaves and fish, and there's 12 extra baskets full. Now, Jesus knew that the crowds might want to make him king, an earthly king. And so he, he sends them away, but he also sends his disciples off in the boat while he's sending the crowds away. So this is a long, exhausting day for Jesus. After this long and exhausting day, Jesus found rest and comfort through time alone with the Father. He did this in prayer. And we we see this right from the start in our text. There's a lot to learn from this. We often want to make prayer a a to-do list, kind of these these requests that we have that we bring to God. And, And that's involved. There are petitions that we bring, but Mostly prayer is about being, being in God's presence, fellowship, communion with God. He's made a way for us to draw near and he welcomes us. He longs for us to draw near. So yes, Jesus healed that day. Yes, he multiplied the loaves and fish that day. Yes, Jesus was was tired. His plans had changed. He was brokenhearted and grieved over the death of John the Baptist, but he, he takes time to be alone with the Father. Now, what is this signal for us? As we learn Jesus, because that's what we're doing here as followers of Jesus, we're learning the way of Jesus, right? That's what I tell people in our city when they ask what we're about. They want to know what our church is like. They want to know when they find out I'm a pastor or they find out I'm a follower of Christ. They, They have a lot of questions. I'm sure you've run into this. And again and again and again, I say, look, look, we're we're followers of Jesus, learning the way of Jesus together. And so what are we learning about Jesus here? Well, his actions at the end of a long, exhausting day, it signals relationship and dependency. The place Jesus found strength and renewal and rest was in the presence of the Father, in prayer. Helping the crowds understand who he is and why he came wasn't most important. Sleep wasn't most important. Time and prayer was most important to Jesus. Express dependency and relationship. That was most important. And so church, what feels insignificant and weak, what feels so unimpressive sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, was the normal routine, was the normal discipline and delight of Jesus. Prayer. You know, we just had a friend over yesterday, um, just caught up with him for about 45 minutes, shared some coffee, hadn't seen him in a long time. It was just so refreshing to be with him. He was so easy to talk with, and he, he always has been. Just celebrate what's, what's going on in his life and in his family and for him to, to hear about ours. We, we walked away just thankful. 
And that's really how, how prayer should be. Now, we don't always walk away from prayer that way. Oftentimes, all I can get out sometimes in my time of prayer with the Lord is just a few words. But I know he's near. And I know it's not about my many words. Jesus taught that as well. So here Jesus is demonstrating what faith looks like. He is. And it looks like going to the Father to commune with him, to be with him, and to see that as a priority in our lives. Second, the disciples are in a storm afraid. Their hearts and minds were just spinning from the day's events. And now the text says that it's the fourth watch of the night. The Romans divided the night into four watches. And so here, this is between 3 and 6 a.m. So Jesus spent quite a lot of time in prayer. And they had been battling this storm, apparently out in the Sea of Galilee, for several hours now. And the disciples, after that long day, and now battling the storm, must have been completely spent, completely exhausted. You ever been in a storm where your hair and clothes are just being whipped around? You can hardly hear what the person next to you is saying. I mean, any of you have been in Florida for uh, a long time? You know, when a hurricane comes through, we all, you know, go outside as long as it's not too bad. You know, we're like, wow, look at the wind. You know, if you grew up in Florida, you know what I'm talking about. Hurricane parties. And <laughs> squint your eyes. Feel the, the rain hitting your eyes. All right. Multiply that by like a hundred and put yourself in the middle of the night in the pitch dark out at sea. No, thank you. But that's where the disciples were. And it says in verse 25, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Okay, this isn't your normal mode of transportation on the water, is it? And let's just pause for a moment and consider what's happening. He's not walking on large blocks of ice as the History Channel might want to tell us. He's not walking on uh, the shore. He's walking out to them on the lake. And the disciples are being tossed by the waves. There's, the heads, there's a strong headwind. And, and Jesus is walking towards them. This isn't normal. The disciples don't expect it. Would you? Would you expect this? I wouldn't expect this. They think he's a ghost. They think he's a deceiving spirit of some kind, and they cry out in fear, actually in dread. This is terror. They're scared. Look, I scare easy. My family knows this. Uh, they scare me all the time. They jump out. They, they, they laugh. Yeah, real funny. Um, I would have been right there with them, like freaking out, scared. The Sea of Galilee is 64 square miles. It's the size of D.C., and the sea in Scripture is often a symbol of chaos and evil. And so here, Jesus is walking out to them on top of the chaos, over the evil, coming out to them, and they're freaking out. In the midst of a storm that they can't control, with all kinds of things swirling around in their heads, Jesus speaks this in verse 27. Take heart. Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now, he didn't whisper it. It was storming out. <laughs> Take heart. Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. Take heart. It means be of good cheer. Confident. Be bold. Be of good courage. It is I. Literally, I am. 
which is an expression used in the Old Testament where God is revealing himself. So here, it's an echo of the divine name that we find in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. Do you remember that story? Where God reveals himself to Moses through this burning bush that isn't consumed by the flames. And he calls Moses to go to Egypt and deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses says, who do I say sent me? And God speaks to him his divine name, Yahweh, which means I am. The name literally means he who is. And Jesus is saying here as he walks on the water, take courage, take heart, I am. It's I. Don't be afraid. So the disciples, they need to know that this is not a ghost. And so Jesus is identifying himself, but it's more than that. Jesus is giving them at least a hint. Actually, it's more than a hint. I mean, he, he is, after all, walking on water. A hint that he is divine. Here, here it is, a voice of assurance. It's a voice of God's presence and identity. Jesus' actions and words are actually meant to produce faith in his true identity in this moment. Jesus' actions And words are meant to produce faith in his true identity. That was true then, it's true now. As we read this story, his actions and his words are meant to produce faith in our own hearts of his true identity. And he says this, don't be afraid. In in other words, this storm has given you reason to fear. Your misconceptions and imaginations have given you reason to fear, but now I'm here. Now I'm here, and you you don't need to be afraid. So any parent with children crying in the middle of the night that are afraid or whimpering, you know, you just wake up, you're like, what's that? Okay, and you go to your child's room, and they're crying, and they're afraid. You just sit next, it's okay, I'm here. I'm here. And that's what they need most. That's what they need to know most. Your presence changes everything. And the same is true of God. His people from the beginning have leaned on the fact that he is near, that he is present. The disciples have to make a decision. And so Peter speaks up as he commonly would. Impulsive, overconfident, passionate. We like Peter, don't we? Is he, is he being impulsive? Is he being reckless? Or is it something else? That leads us to point three. Peter cries out to be saved, to be saved. Peter yells into the storm. He yells into the storm at this ghostly figure. Just imagine the scene. He speaks into the chaos and into the darkness directly towards his fears. I love this. Lord, if it's you, tell me, tell me to come out to you. Tell me to come to you on the waters. Some might say this was a, a careless, even arrogant request. I see it as an expression of faith and trust, or at least a desire for faith. Faith always has an object that it rests in. Regardless of what you believe, regardless of where your faith is, it always has an object object that it rests in it always has something that it's leaning on and looking to always 
Peter knows Jesus. He spent time with him. By this time, Peter has seen miracle upon miracle. And so if this is Jesus, then why not? Why can't he make this request? But what came next may have caused Peter to actually wonder why he opened his big mouth. Jesus said, come. Come on. And the rest of verse 29 is incredible. I mean, it's on another level. No person in human history has done this. He got out the boat. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. Now, how far did he get? How long was he out there? We don't know. Did the water feel like concrete or was it more like hardened jelly? I don't know. You ever wonder? Well, here's what we know. Peter heard what Jesus said and he obeyed. He believed that it was Jesus and that Jesus' word was enough. What was Jesus' word? Come. Isn't that his word to us? Come to me. Come to me. Follow me. He was holding on to Jesus' word. Well, seconds later, Peter found himself in that place between glory and terror, right? He hears the words of Jesus. He believes the word. He, he trusts in the glory of Christ to enable him to do the impossible. Yet the terror of the storm is still behind him and all around him. You ever been there? I mean, not standing on the Sea of Galilee, but caught between glory and terror, suspended between faith and fear, between Jesus and circumstances. And I've been there. I've been there. Verse 30, but when he, when Peter saw the wind, he was afraid, he panicked. So to be on the water and in the storm to be outside of the boat was to put himself in a position of danger. Listen, look, when we hear the words of Jesus, when we step out in faith and walk towards Christ, there will be moments that we remember we're doing the impossible. We're doing the impossible. Hey, look, you can't free yourself. You can't save or rescue yourself. We can't do this on our own. We're doing the impossible. It's because Christ is enabling us. We're submitting all that we are to Jesus. We're giving up the world and what our culture thinks we should live for. From time to time, we look around and we're like, wow. Are we really doing this? But sometimes we look around and we get distracted by the circumstances, by the hardships, by our own fears and doubts. And verse 30 tells us Peter began to sink. He was distracted by the wind and the waves. Some focus on Peter's failures here. Some focus on, on, his, on his fears. Uh, but I don't see anyone else outside the boat with Peter. You know, In the midst of his fears and doubts, he actually doesn't surrender to unbelief. He's tempted to, but instead he does what we all must do. What does Peter do? He cries out. He screams. 
He cries out, Lord, save me. Save, it means rescue, preserve, deliver. One author talks about Peter's prayer this way, which is what it was. It was a prayer that he screamed. She talks about his prayer as an arrow prayer, and I love this. An arrow prayer just quickly shot up to God. (laughs) Help! (laughs) Rescue me! I've shot up a lot of those kind of prayers in my life. Sometimes it's all I got. Yes, Peter lost sight of Jesus. Yes, Peter's faith wavered. The storm brought all kinds of fear as a result, and doubt did rise up in his heart. But Peter didn't succumb to unbelief. Not completely. He knew that Jesus had the power to rescue him. Jesus was still standing on the water. And even though Peter's faith was wavering and small, he cried out for rescue. How many of us have been in that place? Maybe you're there right now and you're like, man, I I feel so afraid right now. Afraid of what? Maybe afraid to obey what I know the Spirit of God has been convicting me of because I know what it's going to require and it's not going to be easy. Afraid of what other people are going to think. Afraid that I'll fail again. Or maybe you've slipped. Maybe you feel caught. Maybe you've taken your eyes off Jesus and for years, potentially for years, the circumstances of your life have got you down. Really, you've grown callous towards the the ways of Jesus. Maybe today you feel like you're in a pit of despair and you have no no way of of getting out of this pit. I've described a, a number of scenarios. I want you to know that I've been praying for you this week. My prayer has been that this story would inspire you to do what Peter does right here, and that's scream. Scream. For rescue and direct that towards Jesus. There's no circumstance that you're facing. There's no scenario that you're in. There's no pit that you find yourself in that Jesus can't rescue out of. Verse 31, look what happens immediately. Instantly, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He took hold of him. Imagine how that felt to, to Peter. He was sinking, he was filled with fear, and then he felt Jesus' hand. Oh, he's got me. Imagine the assurance that Peter experienced that moment that he felt Jesus' hand. You see, church, the place of failure, the place of fear and doubt became in one moment a place of renewed hope and faith. The place where we're most tempted to give up is actually the place where God will show himself faithful again and again as we lean on him, as we look to him. And so you might not be able to stand. You might be slipping. You might be sinking. But can you scream? Can you shout? Can you cry out to the one who's present? Jesus says in verse 31, oh, you have no faith. No, he didn't say that. He didn't. He said, you of little faith. Peter had faith, but it was small. And it had been challenged by the wind and the waves and found wanting. It started out big, right? It was reduced by the storm, by the circumstances. Why did you doubt? Why did you hesitate, Jesus said. 
Well, I can come up with a few reasons. We all can probably. (laughs) But the idea behind doubt is to be divided into two, to waver, to have second thoughts and to hesitate. But faith in Jesus, look, faith in Jesus is is single-mindedly focused on Jesus. Faith in Jesus is single-mindedly focused on Jesus. It's centering your life around King Jesus. It's bowing your life to his rule, his righteous and loving and just rule. It's recognizing that what he did for you and I on the cross is exactly what we needed and what we couldn't do for ourselves. It's being so humbled by that, so incredibly moved by it, that it just shapes who we are. The key for Peter was in keeping his eyes focused on Jesus. It's not that he needed more faith. He needed undivided faith. You know, we have so much coming at us every day, so many voices, so much coming at us. Don't don't we? It threatens to divide our faith. Circumstances, I mean, the death of loved ones, sickness, the brokenness of life, False doctrine that we was maybe that was once preached to us, or church hurt. People coming out of circumstances and, and communities that should have loved you, but but they didn't love you. All kinds of things that we can just throw up these walls and grow callous towards the way of Jesus. Will you do something today that might feel a little scary? Will you ask those? Will we ask Christ to to, to soften your heart? to bring those walls down, to give you a renewed faith and trust in him. Jesus isn't coming down on Peter when he says, oh, you have little faith. It's a combo of of rebuke and encouragement. He's teaching Peter. He's instructing Peter. And and this story has become a, a picture of the Christian life, the life of faith. Look, walking on water, it didn't become the norm for Peter after that or for any of the disciples. But this story teaches us what the norm should be in the midst of our own fears and doubts. What should the norm be in the midst of our own fears and doubts? Crying out to Jesus. Rescue me. Finally, the disciples worship Jesus by faith. I love this. I mean, whatever doubts Peter and the disciples had, just immediately were confronted when Jesus lifted Peter out of the water and brought him safely into the boat. The wind that had once caused panic was now under Jesus' control. Truth is, it always was. And everything was calm again. And Peter had moved, because we're we're tracking Peter through this story, aren't we? We're following him. And Peter had moved from fear to faith and from faith to fear, and, and but faith was now being expressed once again as they all responded in the most logical way. Worship. The most logical response to Jesus in this moment is worship. And I love how Peter, he's not all caught up in his, in his failure. Uh, kind of hiding in the corner of the boat. No, they're in the boat. And their response now in that moment is the most logical response. And it's, a, it's an expression of faith. It's an expression of gratitude. It's worship. They worship Jesus. 
And notice what Jesus doesn't do. Hey, y'all, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this. No, he, he doesn't push that worship away. And this is the first time the disciples declare Jesus as the Son of God. In other words, they're saying he's divine. And they wouldn't truly know what this means until after Jesus' resurrection. But by this time, they've seen enough to lead them to a faith-filled confession. You are the Son of God. And they worship him. Now, you and I will be tempted to take our eyes off Jesus. I sat with a friend of mine um, on Friday. He and his son, they're both in foreign mission. He's going on to India. His son's going on to Haiti for a season. Son's 20 years old. And he was like, Pastor, do you have any, any recommendation for me? Do you have any word of encouragement? I just so appreciated that question. I'm like, hey, listen, look, I am so encouraged by your faith. I'm so encouraged by your zeal and your passion for the Lord. And my encouragement is this. Keep surrounding yourself with brothers who will speak truth and love to you. Keep loving Jesus' church because that's actually his strategy to reach a lost and broken world and his strategy to transform and mature us as followers of him. But also, hey, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. And it might seem like a simple exhortation or encouragement, um, but he had been through so much the previous three, four months. And I knew that what he was heading into in Haiti isn't easy. And, and I know from my own experience that people have let me down again and again. And so I'm telling him what I, I would want anyone to tell me. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame. Why? So that we could be free. Why? So that we could be reconciled, so that we could find hope and joy and find purpose and identity in him. Keep your eyes there. Will we move forward with courage? Will we remember that Jesus is with us? Will we bring our fears to him? Will we properly measure our fears against Jesus' words and his promise? Verse 27, take it personally. It was spoken to Peter in the storm. It's spoken to us today through Matthew 14. Take heart. Take courage. He says, take heart. It is I. Don't be afraid. <laughs> he says, take courage, Sonny. Don't be afraid. Take courage. Take heart, Danny. Jesus is with you. You don't need to fear. Whatever comes your way, as you hold on to him, he holds on to you. Take courage. Take heart. Be of good cheer. In the midst of the storm and in the craze of your fears and doubts, he's got you. He's with you. So this is a story of faith when afraid. It's a story of trust in the face of terror. And it invites us, church, in the midst of our own fear and doubt, to rest in the presence and power of Jesus. And so, church, as we close today, I want to invite Parker to come up. We're going to worship Jesus today like the disciples did at the end of that storm. We're going to worship, and as we worship, as we sing a chorus, um, let's really just do some business here with the Lord. Maybe you have been in that pit of despair. Maybe you have been in that place of callousness and, and fear and it's paralyzed you, but now you're, you're, you're ready. You're ready to scream. You're ready to, you're ready to shout. You're ready to, to cry out, save me.
rescue me. So let's do that work. Let's go to the Lord and let's trust that as we go to him, Jesus is present and we don't need to fear anymore. And that in the midst of our fears, he'll carry us through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Teach us as a church what it means to walk by faith, to continue to look to Jesus in the midst of our own fears and doubts and to find faith to press on. In Christ's name, amen.